episode of Do Good Well. Today, I am talking about the Crime Victims Assistance Center, a nonprofit in Binghamton, and I have with me two guests, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Sure. My name is Haley Roma, and I'm the Assistant Director of Education and Training here at CVAC. Hi, I'm Christine Battisti. I'm the Executive Director here at CVAC. Thank you both for being on here today. Can you both tell me a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds? Sure. I um, am a Broome County native for many years. For my undergrad degree, I went to Florida Southern College, so I left for a little bit, and I got an undergrad degree in psychology, and then I came back to Binghamton because I missed the twin tiers so much, (laughs) and I got my master's in student affairs and administration at Binghamton University. In 2015, I started working at CVAC. At that point, I was the campus sexual assault liaison, which kind of turned into a campus coordinator position, and then about a year and a half ago, I took the role as the assistant director of education. Wonderful. Yeah. um, So I'm also from Binghamton. I was born and raised here. Haven't left. I did go away from my undergrad to SUNY Brockport and I pursued an education in physical education, which is kind of a rare mix in social (laughs) work field. So after I graduated there, I think I got a job at the children's home And I was going to be teaching like rec courses to the children there. And that's when I first encountered kids that had been abused or neglected Mm -hmm. and they were in placement there. And that's where my heart really just grew for this work. And Mm -hmm. I started there and then I went to Child Protective Services. And then a job at CVAC came up part-time. I had three small children. So I thought Mm -hmm. this would be a great organization to still do the work that I loved at a part-time basis. So I worked in our Child Advocacy Center and I've been here ever since working in various departments. I worked in our child advocacy center for eight years. I worked in our legal advocacy department down in our district attorney's office for Mm -hmm. a few years. I built our safe harbor program, which concentrates on child sex trafficking. We'll talk about that later. And then just worked my way up and I became the executive director. It's been two years now. That's wonderful. Well, thank you both for sharing that. So could you tell us a bit about the history of CVAC and how it came to be and how this might have changed and how it operates now? I will give it my best shot. (laughs) It happened long before I came here. So I think it was 1979 that it started as a rape and abuse crisis Mm -hmm. center. And it operated actually on Shenango Street um, out of a basement of a church with a staff of two people. So I think that there was very little funding back then. So fast forward, I think I joined in like 2003, but in like the 80s, we got funding for our Child Advocacy Center. So we moved up to our location on Robinson Street. And I think today we have about 30 staff and we also serve two counties. So we have grown immensely and our our money and there's just more money available for victim services. Not enough. We'd love to have more, but certainly we have grown since the 70s and yeah. it's full comprehensive services now. It's not just a rape abuse crisis center. Chris, you did a great job. The one thing that I would add is that I think, you know, the history and the the growth of our organization is kind of unique in other areas. The child services are in one place and the rape crisis is in another. And it's kind of split up and we've really had that cumulative service for our area. So I think it's unique and and really great. It's we can all offer kind of a one-stop shop sort of thing. We've just grown. I think I, I will speak for Haley because she built this program and maybe she can talk a little bit more, but just our presence on Binghamton University that always didn't yeah. exist. So that's like a huge milestone for our agency to be like right there on campus. So that's a, another 
great thing that's happened over the years. Yeah, I would love to hear more about that, Haley, if you have anything you want to say. But I was going to say quickly that it's funny that you say that because I think one thing that I've noticed as somebody that knows about CVAC is the way that the different services function are so independent of each other, which I think is a really good thing. Like they're so strong on their own. I've brought up CVAC to people and they'll be like, oh, that's like an on-campus resource, isn't it? I'm like, well, it is, but it also is off-campus and has a full operating nonprofit. And then they get so excited to hear that that's also there, but it's just wonderful that people know it like as this on campus thing rather than, oh, CBAC is just here in addition. But uh, Haley, if you want to talk about your experience, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. So um, before I started, if I'm remembering correctly, CBAC was doing small prevention outreach events on Binghamton University and SUNY Broom a little bit, but there wasn't really a whole presence. And then when I started in 2015, there was a program and law passed called Enough is Enough or Education 129B, which provided funding and some other state programs that really connected the rape crisis centers, victim services to the colleges in their area. And so that really allowed for someone to really focus on that relationship. And so it's funny because I think the schools weren't really prepared for that. And the rape crisis services were kind of of just figuring it out on their own. And that's really what I did. When I was in school at Binghamton, getting my master's degree, I had actually been working in the interpersonal violence prevention. It was Mm -hmm. like the first program they had on campus at that time. And so I luckily had some contacts and knew some people who were already doing that work within the school Mm -hmm. system. And so when I worked at CVAC, I I reached out to them and told them I'd love to help in any way and become back involved. The administration was kind of like, what do you mean? We know you're there, but that's where that ends. So I started attending different meetings and joining different task forces. And from there, really recognized that I needed to reach the students in certain ways, ways that, that maybe the administration wasn't rolling out the red carpet for me to do because they didn't really understand what that role was either. And so my first kind of success was that I connected with the Women's Student Union, which is now Mm -hmm. the Feminist Collective, Mm -hmm. and really spoke to them about the different services that CVAC has, about our confidentiality, about the advocacy piece of how we really put that strength and that voice and those choices and empowerment for the victims. And that really spoke to the Women's Student Union. And so I think building that relationship with them, they kind of took it upon themselves because I know they're a very strong, outspoken group on Mm -hmm. campus to really spread the word about us. Um, And then from there, I had more students reaching out for assistance to get counseling, to get help with their Title IX cases, to, you know, a variety of different things that students needed. But the one thing that I was recognizing was that because we weren't really part of the system yet, I was meeting students in hallways, you know, or Mm -hmm. trying to meet them somewhere kind of private, but also comfortable. So at one point I was, I could request a room on campus through a colleague, but Mm -hmm. then they'd give me a giant classroom to meet Mm -hmm. with the student, which wasn't super comfortable for Mm -hmm. them either. I mean, we we made it work, you know? And so from there, slowly but surely as, as our relationship with Binghamton University grew, and I think the students recognized the need for more victim supports and more, you know, survivor spaces on campus. Yeah. That led to the opening of the VARC Center on campus. Mm -hmm. And Binghamton was 
gracious enough to offer us our own space there and our own yeah. access and really building at least one of our staff, if not more, into the system, giving them access to parking, access to the online systems mm -hmm. and, you know, our own cards to get into the buildings and really be able to access students in a way that made sense for the work that we do. So I think it was in April 2021, maybe that the VARC mm -hmm. opened officially. And ever since then, we've really at least had a staff member there weekly doing office hours, making themselves available to meet with students in a confidential manner in a place where they can feel safe and, and access it. So I'm proud of that program and how it grew. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think something that's really nice about it, too, is that especially in its foundation, there was such a nice interaction between you and the student body and finding out what the actual needs were. And I feel like that made it really allow the resources that were created be in touch with those needs. That's that's really wonderful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So you both kind of talked about this uh, a little bit, but I know you both talked kind of about how you got involved and why, but if you wanted to expand about that a little bit and what about CBAC specifically really resonated with you and why you chose to work with this organization? I think mine was children. I have a soft spot for kids. I feel yeah. like they're our most vulnerable population. They're placed in situations where they have little control of their living environments or what's happening to them. So really when I saw kids and, and even in CPS just living in situations that weren't ideal, that just really drew me to the work. And one of our programs here, the Child Advocacy Center, mm -hmm. is a multidisciplinary team that comes together when there's allegations of sexual abuse, serious mm -hmm. physical injury or witness to violence. And it really brings a whole team approach to that. So there's law enforcement, child protective services, mental health counselors, advocates, all coming together for that child and hopefully reducing the trauma that that child experiences when they're being interviewed and offers support to that caregiver that's here with them while they're being interviewed. And that really just drew me that this program existed here at CVAC. And it's really just a passion of mine. Kids need us to, to speak up for them. And yeah. I'm just happy that we're, we have this program. Yeah. For me, when I mentioned briefly that I was in a interpersonal violence prevention while I was in grad school, and that really when I was in that program and, and doing that work, very amateurly, you know, I recognized that I had experienced a lot of things in my background that had affected me and right. that, you know, I didn't recognize that I had rights and needed healing from those experiences. And it really opened my eyes to kind of the feminist movement and victim rights. And it was during that time that I first started working with CVAC. I was actually working with my former supervisor and she was kind of our contact at Binghamton University. And then I did a variety of things not in this work for like briefly a couple of years after I graduated. Mm -hmm. And then the position at CVAC opened and it was a campus liaison. And with my degree in student affairs, and what I had learned in my experiences getting that, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Because during my schooling, I also recognized that while the campuses are great and they have lots of resources and lots mm -hmm. of wonderful things are happening on campus, there's also rules and regulations that they have to abide right. by, which doesn't always serve students in the way that they need. And so when that position opened up at CVAC, I was like, this is how I can go and kind of marry those two things and expand yeah. the support for those people. You know, when I was on campus, that's when I was going through those traumatic mm -hmm. experiences. And I didn't know about the options and I didn't know about any organization like CVAC. And so it really yeah. pulled at my heartstrings to get into that and expand on that for college students. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. I think both of you make some really good points about being the voices for people that might not necessarily know that they have that voice to vocalize. Before I get on to my next question, I do want to acknowledge that both of your reasons are full of passion, but certainly heavy topics. So how do you feel that you're able to remain so passionate and hardworking when it can be really tiring and perhaps unfaltered out and maybe even be triggering at some points? Go ahead, Chris. Take it away. You've been doing it longer than I have. I think I thrive in this environment, if I have to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I I think I like to create change, and that's what drives me to make Mm -hmm. systems better. Mm -hmm. So I'm always challenged. This field provides that opportunity for me, so Mm -hmm. it just fits for my personality. We work with so many different systems, and all Mm -hmm. of them need help. So I'm never bored. I'm always challenged. And that's what drives me. I just am born to, I just feel very passionate about being a servant mm-hmm. just in everything that I do, not even at my, in my work, but in my home life. And I think I find joy in that being a servant leader mm-hmm. and to take care of myself. I just have always been a big exerciser. So I, I do running. I'm just passionate about, I, of course, my undergraduate degree was in physical education. So mm-hmm. That really helps me to debrief after hearing Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we experience here at Mm -hmm. CVAC. Because like you said, it's a lot and we hear a lot and it's, you know, I've been here 20 years. So that's a lot Mm -hmm. of stories, Um, a lot of watching people suffer and um, seeing some things that aren't so nice. So, yes. Yeah, I you know, agree with everything that Christine just said. I also think that when I first started in this work, I didn't even recognize like how all of that was affecting me. And so mm-hmm. I did have a period of time where I really had to kind of take a step back and reevaluate how I was doing life, all of it, how I was doing work and mm-hmm. what I was doing afterwards and what I was doing on the weekends and kind of figuring out what was best for me and what I needed to do. I I think I'll get into this as this podcast continues, but I also am kind of the lead for bringing on volunteers and interns and training mm-hmm. them. And within that process, I talk a lot about self-care and checking in with yourself and kind of doing your own self-exploration of how you were going to continue hearing those stories and continue fighting in those, you know, difficult Mm -hmm. systems that we have to traverse. And I think boundaries are a big part of that. Like Mm -hmm. through my time here at CVAC, I've really harnessed my power of saying no to people, places and things, you know, and really putting, putting myself first and making sure that I'm going to be okay with whatever's at stake, you know, so that the next day I can continue to be myself and and be the person that I want to be. Mm-hmm. If I say yes to everything, then I just, if mm-hmm. there'll be too many no's because I'll be forced to not be yep. able to show up. So been the, it's been a journey of self-exploration. And I think everyone has to kind of figure out their own thing. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that last part. And I think it's, especially when you're in a people-oriented and a need-oriented career it's so hard to say no but mm-hmm. I think you're right that if you don't say no to people eventually one way or another something is going to force you to say no in a way that you may not want to so exactly yeah thank you for sharing that both of you yeah so shifting a little bit can you tell listeners about the mission statement for CBAC and how CBAC kind of works to achieve the goals listed within that mission statement our mission state it's a mouthful but In general, I may not have this perfectly correct because I don't have it in front of me, but in general, we provide care and compassionate services to victims or those who've been affected by a crime or crime in general. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, we also aim to educate the community and prevent crimes from happening. So it's kind of twofold. We are a crisis response agency. So we, you know, that's our, we have that 24 hour crisis line. We're responding to the hospital where everyone who comes to us looking for support, we're going to 
figure that out for them. But at the same time, we're also providing, whether it be the systems, whether it be the general community, um, whether it the kids, the K through 12 school systems, you know, we're doing our best to provide them information that A, our organization exists, and B, talking about consent, talking about trauma and how that affects mm -hmm. individuals, you know, variety of different topics that go into victimization or and are either like why victimization occurs or empowering individuals to not be victimized yeah. um you know i'm very passionate about spreading that information i'm an information-based person and so i think that really is kind of what our organization does you know our goal is we're here we're here for you if you need support we will find where we you need it but then we're also taking every opportunity to spread that word even more yeah I like that Haley mentioned that about just everywhere we are, because I feel like that's a big part of CVAC. We are have so many community partnerships, which mm -hmm. takes a lot of work and building relationships. I mean, we have seven different law enforcement agencies, mm -hmm. child protective services, all three of our hospitals, um, our educational systems, all the mm -hmm. schools. Um, we try we try always to branch out to new partnerships. Um, right now we're focusing on substance abuse abuse treatment providers because yeah. there's a crossover with victims and substance abuse. So like it just seems like everyone is our partner because victims and people that are impacted by crime are everywhere in our community. Yeah. So we have to take a stance and build those relationships so that we can yeah. best serve our clients. Yeah, that's wonderful. You both kind of touched upon this, but could you expand upon some of the services, programs, or resources that CVAC has to offer? I know there's a yeah, lot, and I know y'all are rather multifaceted, but if you just want to talk about a few. Yeah, I'll, I kind of have like a, a running list in my head, but I'm sure I'll forget some because we do do a lot. But, you know, we started out as a rape crisis center with that crisis line, and we're still running that 24-hour, 24-7 um, crisis and support hotline, you know. 365 days a year, whenever someone needs support, they can call and reach out and get that support, whether it's through our staff during the day business hours or um, trained volunteers in the evenings and weekends. Um, in addition to that, we also do 24-hour medical advocacy. So we'll respond to the hospital, the emergency rooms, if when requested by uh, ER emergency room staff, if a victim presents there. Um, but, you know, even not in the emergency room, we'll really dispatch anywhere so that the, a victim who's making a report at the police station, who's maybe going through another medical treatment and has, has disclosed some sort of victimization, you know, we, an advocate wants to be there to talk to them about mm -hmm. what their options are and their services. From that, we have a wonderful team of crisis counselors. So mm -hmm. um, it's really crisis counseling focused. It's not like forever mental health uh, therapy like some people may need. We have like a, um, I think, eight to 12 week process there. And in that we also offer trauma-based therapy to the children who come through our Child Advocacy Center. Our Child Advocacy Center is, Christine talked about it a little bit, but we, we work with CPS and law enforcement. If there's mm -hmm. any disclosure, suspicion, um, or signs of child sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, or witness to violence. And they can come to our agency, um, have that team really wrap services around them, and then be interviewed on site also. 
recently actually we kind of expanded that program and we also have a medical a forensic medical room where we have a nurse from the finger lakes area come in to do the sexual assault exams for pediatric non-acute cases so ones that have happened you know outside of the time frame to get dna evidence um so really you know it's kind of a place where we can do take care of that child in a really uh trauma-informed friendly warm environment yeah kind of under the child advocacy center is our safe harbor program um which started out a few years ago really focusing on bringing education about human trafficking to the area and also brought resources to youth who have been identified at being at risk of either human trafficking or really just you know youth who are at risk of a variety of things. We have resources and case managers that can meet them, kind of whether that's in their school or in the community or at our offices, and really do some kind of creative, holistic um, work with them so that they can start, you know, developing them to kind of get more stable and get in a place where they can go on to adulthood. We have the legal advocacy, legal advocacy department, which is housed right in the district attorney's office. Victoria, you could probably talk on that since you were one of the interns there, but, um, you yeah. know, there we are helping victims modify or file for orders of protection. And then also explaining the judicial systems of what they mm -hmm. are um, and really supporting victims throughout that process, whatever that may look like. And what else do we do? My department <laughs> is uh, education and outreach. So we are training our volunteers and interns, certifying them as rape crisis counselors through a program that's certified through the Department of Health. In addition to that, we also have um, K through 12 prevention education. So we have our own homegrown curriculums. We also facilitate other curriculums that we've been trained in to prevent um, child sexual abuse, to prevent online victimization, yeah. um, healthy relationships, all sorts of things we can do there. Um, Girls Circle, which is kind of like a support psychoeducational mm -hmm. group that we can do for, I think, kids age nine through 18, I think. Mm -hmm. And then through all that, we're also doing outreach, like tabling at different community events and health fairs, um, providing people information that they can have our number on and know how to reach us and know how to learn more about our agency, social media, all that stuff. Did I forget Every anything? time you I say think... what we do, I'm like, we do so much. I know. I know. And then I, then I finish it and I'm like, did I forget anything? I'm sure I did somewhere. <laughs> so I think, I think that's a good overview. That is wonderful. I <laughs> I didn't even know about some of the things that existed in there. So that's wonderful. It's Thank you for sharing all that. So yeah. Next, next time I'll I'll have even more to say. <laughs> that's wonderful. And that's wonderful that you guys are able to keep up so many things going, which goes into my next question of, do you have any challenges that as an organization you struggle with? Maybe it's maintaining so many things operating at once or just keeping your heads on in the right direction or something like that. But what things you might either as an organization or in your specific roles that have come up? Yeah, I mean, I think every organization has challenges. Um, nonprofits are very challenging mm -hmm. organizations. I think a lot of times people might not understand. They just think, oh, they're nonprofits. They just help people. And they don't understand that it's actually like running a business. And all of those things that exist in a business exist at a nonprofit. So we face um, challenging 
funding streams that we mm -hmm. have to navigate. I think we have over 17 contracts right now. So it's not like our agency just gets a dollar amount and says, here, go run your business. It's um, coupled with trying to seek out funds. So constantly grant writing and making sure that mm -hmm. the grants are what something that we can do. And they all run in different fiscal years, which creates a lot of different work. Um, so I, I think that and maintaining our building and our grounds, and we're in charge of um, making sure we have an IT company and, and all of that stuff that a business would have. And we're mm -hmm. still doing all this. We also face challenges because nonprofits don't get a lot of funding for HR. So we kind of, our administration has to kind of function as that role. So we wear many hats, which can be very challenging mm -hmm. where I think if you went to a larger organization or a company, mm -hmm. you know, you would be doing one job, but here at CVAC, I feel like a lot of the administrators and even the director level are doing a lot of different things to make it work. Um, so that could be a chance, could be considered a challenge. I agree with that. And I, it, we do all wear different hats and, and we kind of spread that HR department throughout all of our different yeah. roles. Um, we have to contract IT, we have to contract the phone, you know, we have all these different things to keep our organization running without, you know, the work that we do generating the income like it would mm -hmm. be at a business, you know, and so it's just a different way of kind of functioning in our world. But, you know, despite all of that, we are doing good work. You know, we are doing mm -hmm. the tough stuff that those businesses, you know, don't have the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think that kind of, that's how I resonate with it and, and keep going in it while I try to keep my head straight on all those different roles that we wear. <laughs> I think um, the funding is another big challenge, right? Because we mm -hmm. want to retain employees and mm -hmm. generally speaking, human service organizations don't provide a salary. So we're yeah. always trying to think of ways to make it a good work environment here mm -hmm. because we value our employees. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I work really hard to portray that message to the staff and I know right. they do it to each other, but sometimes even those things um, don't equal a good paycheck. So I think funding is something that we really um, struggle with. In fact, I was actually just invited to speak in Albany mm -hmm. on Tuesday at a hearing talking about, you know, what can the state do to help right. organizations like CVAC? And that was on the table. Like a lot of people collectively from, from around the state were speaking and we were all in like unison saying like, people are leaving this field. And if the state mm -hmm. doesn't come in and do something to provide a living wage, mm -hmm. you're just going to see more and more vacancies and people yeah. walk away from this field because of the hard work and yeah. the things that you experience working here, you know, caseworkers and mental health. So mm -hmm. that is definitely a challenge. But I think for the first time ever in the 20 years I've been here, I, I'm feeling like the state is saying, tell us, like, what can we do? So that feels really good because yeah. I've never experienced that before. So that was really empowering Tuesday to go voice, you know, what we're what we're experiencing. Yeah. And I would say staffing and keeping staff is definitely a challenge. Yeah, well, that's wonderful that the state is hearing that because that's really one of the biggest ways that dog profits can function better is when the government gets involved and provides more funds. But I also think it's interesting that you both talked about just like the idea of, you know, staff members getting paid amounts and like keeping like the building running, things like that. Um, because that's something that I'm personally taking classes for my certificate in nonprofit management right now. And one of the things that my professor talks about all the time is that a lot of times donors and people who want to fund just want to see their money go to the cause, but it doesn't always 
work that way. And sometimes that money has to go to keeping the lights on in the building and paying the employees and people don't understand that. But for nonprofits, you need the, all the functions of the services to operate that well. And as you're saying, the money isn't just quite exactly like this amount of money is right for that. It's you need every dollar as it counts to keep all these programs running. So it's really difficult and definitely kind of a unique way for an organization to operate, but it seems to be the only way that these services can operate. And it's it's tough because, you know, it's such a work heavy, emotionally heavy field, not with the highest paying job. So I, I agree with everything you're saying that, you know, if the state doesn't listen and people don't understand how this works and these services just aren't going to be able to function in the same way. And we need them for people to, to live better lives. Alrighty. Um, so to switch to a bit of a positive note, do you have any experiences that you'd like to share that have made your time with CVAC really rewarding? Oh, there's so, there's so many. I know. I that's, don't even know where to I start. Think that's <laughs> why I'm still here. Um, yeah. Maybe just, you know, now I've been removed. I mean, so I don't get those as often in administration as I did working with clients. I think um, I miss that sometimes. Yeah. So going to court with families, um, standing next to a victim in the county court, listening to them give their victim impact statement and to be able to voice in front of their offender, in front of open court, you know, how this crime impacted them and just being there. And sometimes they're just break down in tears, but being able to walk out with them and know that, gosh, if I wasn't here, maybe they would just be alone or sitting by their bedside mm -hmm. um, in the emergency room when there's mm -hmm. no one else. They, you know, sometimes people have families or friends, but sometimes, you know, I was at a hospital where someone said to me, can you just hold my hand and, and can you stay with me? Um, those moments for me, make it worthwhile. I, I miss it a lot, but I love being in administration because I want to support the staff and make their experience working working here just like how I had it when I was um, working with clients. So mm -hmm. I would say those moments when you can just be in the moment with someone that's um, facing something and be a light to them is just the most rewarding thing about CVAC. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I'll agree with that. I think, you know, I don't do it as much anymore as a director, but I also am kind of the one of the people who really brings, uh, whether it's interns or new staff or volunteers into this and give them the information that they need to serve, you know, those clients best. Um, that's always, I get really excited to do that, especially when, you know, uh, uh intern goes through the training and then they want to become one of our advocates who responds to the hospital and then they do their first shadow and they come back to me and they're like that was the most rewarding thing of my life like I want to help people in that way in the way that you are giving me the opportunity to do so um and so seeing like that whole process someone who's like passionate about the work we do doesn't really know gets the information they need and then is in it and it's like really their eyes are opening as to how integral that role is, you know, in those crisis moments. Mm -hmm. um, it brings me a lot of joy to see that process. And also when I was doing it, you know, even every now and then I'll take one of our calls to the hospital or I'll take a crisis line call. And it really does, it reminds me and brings me back to like the very basic services that we've been offering since, you know, our very beginning of CVAC that's why we're here. And so, you know, it's easy, I think, to get lost in all of our admin stuff and our crazy lists of all the things we do. But like, at 
the core of our services that we've been doing since the very beginning. Like that is why we're here and we're still doing that. And I just am so proud to be a part of that. I, yeah, I think the clients first, but then I guess to speak, because I forgot when we were talking, like, secondly, like being in the role that I am now, mm-hmm. what's what's so exciting is that um, I'm in a position to create change in systems. So mm-hmm. that is kind of what is exciting. Like, now I can partner or have the ability to say, yes, our law enforcement, we're, we're implementing a new system coming up here. And it's like, that is so exciting when you can change the systems that victims Mm -hmm. are encountering and for the better. Mm -hmm. So something that might be like staple in our community going forward, that is like really, really exciting and very powerful. Yeah, that's very empowering to shift a little bit. So you both have degrees from Binghamton University, if I'm correct. Christine, you yourself are an MPA graduate. And Haley, you have a master's in student affairs administration. So would you both want to talk about your educational experiences at Binghamton and if um, you want to talk at all about how they prepared you for working at CVAC? You guys are both MP, so I'll just do mine (laughs) a little spiel quickly. But the Master's Student Affairs Administration is in the um, CCPA program. And so a lot of those basic foundational, like in my eyes, like social work tenants were a part of the degree that I got, maybe with like a university or campus lens. Um, Mm -hmm. And so especially for that first role that I had as the campus liaison, um, it really equipped me to understand the system of a Mm -hmm. university, especially a large state university that Binghamton is. And, you know, it's, it reminds me of some of the systems that other that we that CVAC has to work in in other ways, you know, like you can't just do what makes sense, do what do the right thing and do it quickly. You have to kind of figure out how you can reach the top and and show your the reasoning for why you need, you know, this service or why things need to be this way and kind mm-hmm. of traversing through that. Um honestly, there's a lot of like legal aspects and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the rights of a student or the rights of victims, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very, um, they remind me of, you know, each other. And so mm-hmm. that was very helpful, especially in that first role in that I had in growing our partnership with Binghamton University. It allowed me to really understand that system and recognize how we can be able to work through it together. Yeah. All right. Let's hear MPA. <laughs> So it was at first I waited to go back to school. So I don't think, I think I was 40 years old. So I think I had the biggest computer (laughs) amongst all my peers. And I can just remember, um, I wasn't sure. I think I was going to go for social work. And then my personality just kind of fit more with like a leadership role in public administration. Mm -hmm. So I was so fortunate to learn about that program. But if I have to describe one word waiting to go back, I feel like uncomfortable, which in the beginning was like, why am I doing this? I felt very out of place. I felt very like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, The very first course that I took was 21st century governance. And it was all about the digital divide. And I was like sitting in that classroom thinking, okay, we're learning about the digital divide, but I am the digital divide. (laughs) I mean, at CVAC, I had very little interaction with technology. Mm -hmm. I'd been working here, what, um, 12, 13, 14 years. And my only um, 
interaction with technology was like maybe entering numbers into a database. I, I'm a people person, I'm serving clients. Mm -hmm. So totally removed from technology. And I can just remember feeling very, very uncomfortable. But luckily, I had a great family support system that was all about education. So they were like, you can do it. So this first class I took, we had a hybrid uh, model. I think it was the very first time that they did this. And we were working with students from Bogota, Colombia. So talk about like shell shock. Like I'm in this class and I'm working with students in another country. Yeah. And we have to use all these different platforms for technology. So I kind of just got thrown into it. And I made it through that first semester. And I was like, wow. So I think some key takeaways from the program was it really opened my eyes. I think I was living in a bubble in my mm -hmm. own world at CVAC. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I was starting to look at the world through a different lens and yeah. learn other people's perspectives of how they view things. And I think that's right. really powerful because if you go around life just looking at it through your own lens, you really can't connect with others or understand what they're going through when you, you think you know everything or it's this way. So that was like the whole culture of the MPA, learning just about the world and other countries. It just really exposed. I felt like I was just in this tiny little community. And then going through that program really did um, just open my eyes. Um, it was also a benefit because I, I was working in a field that I could relate my coursework to almost every program. Mm -hmm. So you talk about taking evaluation. I was able to build an evaluation program for one of the or surveys for one of our programs here at mm -hmm. CVAC. So I feel like all the professors got to hear a lot about CVAC because <laughs> every class I took, I was able to do it. Research methods, um, just every single one. So it was really easy, um, not easy, but the content was there and it was, yeah. it was applicable to what I was learning. So it made sense and it was a much better student going in my 40s um, <laughs> and really retaining a lot of what I learned. So yeah. I, I had a great experience. It was great that I was able to do it part-time and still keep my job. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a good experience. And it's building that whole program is exactly what I was doing, like getting an MPA so I could, you know, it helped me get in the position that I am now. Mm -hmm. Had I not gone back, and took that chance and was mm -hmm. uncomfortable and threw myself out there and said, I'm going to do something. I might not be um, the executive director and in the position that I love so much. So yeah. it's definitely worth my while. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, do you have any specific classes within the MPA program that you felt specifically helped you with your work at CVAC? I mean, they all did a little bit. I will say I did. I can't remember the name of the course I took, but there was one class I took in human resources management yeah. and I really I read a book on signs of a miserable job and it was really like just talking about how much impact a leader can have in an yeah. organization and how we can forget sometimes mm -hmm. like all the things we just talked about all the pressures of funding and, and running an organization and the protocols and you know all of that stuff you can kind of lose sight so that course always just is burning in my brain mm -hmm. every day when I'm here just saying like connect with your employees make sure they know that they feel valued um, measure their work get to know them on a personal level so that you know what they're facing in their everyday lives because just mm -hmm. like us they're coming to work with whatever maybe is going on in their home life and there's boundaries, of course, but knowing that, that you care, I think 
that's why people stay. They stay when you make those connections and you care about them. And I feel like that course, although it was probably like one of the, the less important classes, it wasn't a core class, like in the MPA program, it was probably the most important thing that I could have been taught um, to make sure that I bring mm -hmm. that as a leader into mm -hmm. this work. Mm -hmm. And do you have any advice for current MPA students or students in general? If Haley, you want to say anything about that as well? Oh, any advice? Yeah. Oh, it's worth it in the end. It opens up so many doors. I think the MPA degree, I mean, although I'm, I chose nonprofit, it's just a great degree to be able to branch out in government or any politics, mm -hmm. to become leaders, to advocate for things that you want in your community. It, it prepares mm -hmm. you for all of that. And so I love the diversity of that degree because you're mm -hmm. not just pigeonholed into one thing. You could do nonprofit and then you could switch over. So it's just a great program for those that really want to advocate for change. Yeah, and I would agree. I think the whole CCPA program, you know, regardless of what your specific degree is, mm -hmm. like it does give, it opens you up to everything and it mm -hmm. opens you up to working with people in mm -hmm. working with systems. And I think mm -hmm. really that can be applied to like any industry. And so I, you know, I don't have enough good things to say about that because they really keep it, you know, at a place where you can take it, whatever your next step is, you know, it just opens up the doors and mm -hmm. equips you with the skills to go down any road that looks interesting, or that grabs your heartstrings, or that, you know, meets your passions that you can have a mm -hmm. career that fits your life and fits your soul and isn't where you just clock in and for those eight hours and, you know, not, not feel like you're doing anything or, or, you know, on your right path, you can figure out your own journey that way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of on the wrap up here, we've talked about some of the wonderful things that CVAC does and has to offer, but how can people within the community get access to all these resources or just find out about what's going on with CVAC? Yeah, so um, we recently, although it doesn't feel, I guess it's not as recently as I think it is, but we have a website that's really easy to um really user-friendly now. It outlines all of our different mm -hmm. services, how you can reach out to the different services, what they offer, what they look like, um, lots of different opportunities there. Um, we have lots of different events going on. Um, this is being reported in October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So mm -hmm. we have um, different you know, awareness things this month. And also April is a really big month for us too. Mm -hmm. um, Child Abuse Awareness Month, Sexual Assault Prevention Month, mm -hmm. um, Crime Victims Rights Week. You know, we really do a lot of stuff throughout the calendar year to mm -hmm. kind of bring attention to the issues that we're dealing with every day. So we hope that, you know, the listeners here can look out for those and get involved that way. If, you know, all these things that we're talking about really do speak to you and you want to take that even a step further, um, that we are always looking for volunteers to help us on our crisis line. Um, it's a really rewarding volunteer opportunity where you can, once you have the training, it's um, 40 hours, half online, half in person. You're a certified mm -hmm. rape crisis counselor. You can sign up for shifts and you can really be that person that someone may be reaching out to you know during their crisis looking for support and I think that could be a really mm -hmm. rewarding experience if anyone is interested in what all that they're learning about yeah you just encourage like listeners like everything here is free our services are all free and they're confidential so you know everyone has someone in their life that maybe or someone that walks through their path um, that's how we really can spread the word um, is get people linked to resources. So many people are maybe 
you know, intimidated by coming forward. So just to know that, you know, even if talking to someone doesn't mean you have to make a police report or do anything, it could just be a way to connect with a counselor or an advocate just to know that you're not alone. So I would encourage anyone that if you know somebody or you have somebody in your life that you know is maybe in an unhealthy relationship or something has happened to them, please, please encourage them to reach out because we would hate for somebody to be sitting in silence and, and feeling alone and like there's not someone that they could mm -hmm. talk to. Yeah, and even if that experience or that um, you know trauma that they had in their life was 10 years ago, 40 years ago, and someone hasn't really dealt with it. And maybe they're struggling in a variety mm -hmm. of ways, because we know trauma manifests, you know, the longer it goes untreated, like we, we don't turn anyone away. Um, mm -hmm. We will help you get the support and help help you heal, regardless of when you're reaching out for that first time. And we're happy to, you know, find out what what those needs are and, and help you figure them out. That's wonderful. My last super quick question is, do you have any social media handles that you would want people to take a look at or follow? Yes. Our Instagram is at Crime Victims Assistance Center, which is long, but it is <laughs> right out there. And then our CVAC or our um, CVAC Facebook, which I think is <laughs> Broom CVAC, um, search that it comes right up and we do lots of, we have events on there. We show all the cool things that our staff is doing. Um, we highlight our community partners there. And so please follow us, like us, check us out there. Um, because our team works really hard to make sure that the community can see what we're up to. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really liked hearing about what you had to say. I love learning about the many, many resources you all have and just the passion that you both have for the program. So thank you so much for talking today. Thank you for, having, for having us. For you. It was our pleasure. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's episode all about the Crime Victims Assistance Center located in Binghamton, New York. If you want to check out their resources or get involved, be sure to check out their social medias, which they listed below. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, learning about this organization and about nonprofits in general. Until the next episode, my name is Victoria, and keep doing good fun.